author is simply giving a list of final instructions to uh, his audience, uh, the congregational community, okay? So it's just kind of one thing right after another. And he simply begins with, let brotherly love continue. This is essential. This is the essential thing that he is emphasizing. Because you could put this whole section under, a, uh, under the banner of uh, what are living sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And they are living sacrifices pleasing to God when they are done in faith and according to his word. For believers in Christ, there is no greater way to show the love of God than by loving each other. Uh, the horizontal is, is transferred to the, the, the vertical is transferred to the horizontal. If you want to know how to show your love for God, you show it for one another. So he simply says, may the love in the congregation continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Um, I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it, but I'm going to tell it again. It's just too good. Joanne and I were traveling in her home country of Finland with her parents and her sister. And we had a rental car. And we were driving, and we were out in the middle of nowhere. You could see everything in a 360 degrees, and there was nothing but fields. And the car broke down. So, um, Her father and I, of course, raised the hood to see if there was anything obvious. And suddenly came walking up the road these two men. And they had on tool belts. And they, uh, they said, can we help you? And uh, said, well, the car quit. And it's a rental car. Well, they said, you need to call for another car. So they did. And they said, well, it'll be here in a half an hour. Um, is there anything else we can do? No, we're good. So Joanne went back to the car. She had some small gifts she could give people in Finland, and she was going to give them these gifts. Well, her father and I, and everybody was behind the car, we were looking down at the engine, and she came around and said, give these to those guys. And I turned around, and they were gone. They were absolutely gone. There was no place for them to go that we couldn't have seen them. It also dawned on us that they said, when we need to get you another car, we'll call. They never asked for the number of the rental car company. They just dialed. And we are convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt 
that we had two angels that day. And the car arrived, and we went on our way. So, I believe, as I've seen it, but what it's saying is hospitality is so important. Hospitality was critical in that culture because when you came to a, a foreign town, you had no status whatsoever for security, etc. By someone showing you hospitality, they literally made you a part of their home while you were there. So you had security. You had a roof over your head. And always the reminder in the Old Testament was, remember to show hospitality because you were sojourners in Egypt. Okay? So that's what's uh, being talked about here. All right, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Um, there is no doubt that there were people from the congregation that the author was writing to that were in prison because of their faith. They were being persecuted. Now, in those days, prisons were different in this regard. When a person was put in prison, they gave them nothing. They did not even give them food every day. If you were in prison, it was up to your family to bring you food or you would starve to death in prison. So he is exhorting those who are not in prison to act as if they were and to take care of these folks that are in prison, be it fellow family members or friends. And this is the way they showed love as well as those who are mistreated and from we, what we know, some of them had been mistreated because they had their property taken away from them. They had their property taken away from them. So they were to help these people that were in need and being persecuted for the faith. The next statement, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Marriage is not held in honor in our culture today. Now, certainly there are people that do hold it in honor, but it's the minority. It is not held in honor today. This is calling on us to hold this institution, this holy institution of God as part of his order of creation, male and female for a lifelong union to raise children in the faith, the bedrock of society. Our author is saying, hold marriage in high regard. In high regard. And then he says, uh, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
He is saying the marriage bed needs to be undefiled, a man and a woman for life, and no one else. No sex outside of marriage. Okay? So let it be a holy thing by God. It was instituted by God. It is a good gift of God for us. Hold it in honor. Okay? Next statement. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, this is from the Psalms. Uh, okay. One of the key things that's talked about in all the New Testament is the proper relationship of believer in Jesus Christ with possessions. And there is always the tendency, always the tendency to let possessions reign in your life. Okay? Luther said something like, put your hand inside of your shirt. If, if your heart's beating, you got a problem with possessions. Period. Anybody that's alive and is flesh and blood has a problem with possessions. Now, your relationship with possessions is a, a law of diminishing return. Okay? No matter how much you have, you will always want more. Well, if I had a new car, I'd be satisfied. Well, you get a new car, and then you see something else you want. It never ends. You will never be satisfied with possessions. They are empty. So that is why Matthew... Uh, the book of Matthew goes into such extent on possessions. You don't have to worry about what you eat or drink or clothing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. He added what you need. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be in need, in need at times. But what God is saying is, don't worry about it. I'm in control, and even when you're in need, don't worry because I'm going to provide as a test of faith. Okay? So it's a priority issue, and that's what it is here. We don't have to worry because God has promised to take care of us, and even when we are in need, we don't have to worry because he's going to take care of us. He's going to supply what we need. Sometimes we think we know what we need and we don't know what we need. God provides something else. Okay? By worrying, you gain nothing. And by the way, worry is nothing but lack of faith in God. Worry and anxiety are a lack of faith in God. 
So, has anybody here ever not worried? All right. So now we've established that everybody has broken the first commandment. Okay. But he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise is in several places. Okay. So the proper, put possessions in the proper order in your priority list. And the chief thing in your priority list is the righteousness of God. That is what he has given you in Jesus Christ. That is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. Okay. That needs to be first above everything because that's going to last forever. Possessions will not. Possessions will not last forever. As Matthew says, that's where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So, the possessions are in the proper priority. And they're down the list. They're not first. Because your possessions can own you. They can own you. All right, next statement. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. All right. What he's saying here is, you all have people in your life who you looked up to spiritually, who probably taught you the Word of God, and who lived out that Word of God. And they became, became very important in your life. They are your spiritual mentors. What he's saying here is, remember them for that blessing that they were to you and consider the outcome of their faith and imitate it. Be like them. Be like them. Imitate their faith in your own life. That is why God gives us these people. And maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a teacher. Whoever it was, God gave you that blessing in your life. Look up to them and imitate their faith because God gave them as a blessing to you. And then Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the emphasis here is just like he taught them and they, they lived out that faith the same faith holds true today. Jesus Christ has not changed. Jesus Christ does not change. We don't want a God who changes. We want a God whom, when they ma he makes us promises, it stands. And that's the important part of a changeless God. 
we do not want him changing. That way we can always count on his promises. Always count on his promises. All right. As I said, these things are just one light right after another. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. All right, strange and diverse teachings. What is he talking about? Notice that at the end of the verse, the reference is on food. As you know, in the Old Testament, there were strict, very strict dietary laws of what you could and could not eat, what you could and could not drink. We believe that that's what's being referred to here that it's very possible that people were being told, still being told, you need, to, uh, you need to live out and obey those dietary laws. The emphasis would be on fulfilling those laws to make yourself pleasing to God. Now, as soon as you put that into the mix, you have just moved in to work righteousness. You have just moved in to work righteousness. You are now adding that. I'm not only believing in Christ, I'm going to make myself pleasing to God by keeping these dietary laws. We believe that may be what's behind this. But no matter what strange and diverse teaching it was, in almost every case, strange and diverse teaching refers to works. It always does. Or it teaches something strange about Christ that he's not the true Savior and Son of God. But with this reference to food, we're pretty sure they were trying to get the people to live according to the Old Testament dietary laws. Okay? And notice the statement, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace is a gift of God. Your heart is not strengthened by what you eat. Jesus said, it is not what someone eats that makes a man unclean, okay? It's what's in the heart. And if the heart is strengthened by grace, God's love, then you don't fall into that. Next statement. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. All right. As we study this, we realize that what's being talked about is the former altar, the altar at the tent, that is the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle. And it's probably a direct reference to the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16, where the high priest offered up sacrifices of both bull and goat and offered that sacrifice, sprinkled the blood over the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of Israel. Now, in most cases, with a sin offering, okay, a sin offering, once that sin offering was made, that sacrifice could be eaten by the priest. But that was not the case on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice was made, and then that sacrifice was taken outside the camp and burned. Now, let's wrap all this up. If you are still counting on the Day of Atonement, and the sacrifices made in the Old Testament of animals, animal sacrifice, and putting your faith in those things, and in that altar, then you cannot partake of the new altar, which is based on Jesus Christ with probably a direct reference to the altar being the Lord's Supper. If you are still believing the Old Testament sacrificial system, and that is your faith, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper, which is totally focused upon Jesus Christ and his act of redemption for you. In other words, they are saying those that are still stuck in the old ways should not partake of the altar. And it goes on. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. It's a big thing. that Jesus Christ was crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Just like being outside the camp, a Gentile had to be outside the camp because they couldn't enter. Jesus was crucified outside the city walls. Just like they took, on the Day of Atonement, they took the scapegoat, And Aaron laid his hands on the scapegoat, signifying that the sins of Israel were on that goat. And they took the goat out into the wilderness and let it go, and it died in the wilderness 
outside the camp. Jesus Christ had the sins of the world upon him and was taken outside the city walls to be crucified. Now what this is saying is, let's go out to him. And that includes Gentiles. Let's go outside to him. But when we do, we bear the reproach that he endured. When we are with Jesus Christ, there may be persecution to suffer. There may be persecution to suffer. It happened to him. He was persecuted. He endured suffering. It may happen to us when we are with him. When we are with him. All right. Then this sentence, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There is no lasting city in this world. None. Not even Jerusalem. No lasting city. We seek the heavenly Jerusalem. We seek the new Jerusalem. This is back to possessions. If your life totally centers around the things in this world and possessions, then you're not seeking the city that is to come that's going to last forever. It's, a, a, it's an order of priority. Okay? What is your highest priority? You are seeking the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're looking forward to in this world. And nothing else can take its place. We're looking forward to it. All right. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay. Uh, that can certainly be applied to pastors. Okay? Certainly be applied to pastors because they are keeping watch over your souls. They are seeking you to be a member of the kingdom of God forever. Pastors pray for you. Pastors pray for their people, and pastors pray for their people specifically when they are in trouble. When they are in trouble. This is purely on a spiritual realm. By submit it means you hear the word of God, you receive the sacrament, you remain in the faith, 
you remain spiritually strong. The pastor becomes concerned when they stop seeing a person in worship or they stop seeing a person come to the communion rail on a regular basis because they are keeping watch over you spiritually. Okay? No matter how large the congregation. Okay? And on a regular basis, I can assure you, your pastors pray for you. Because I went through the mug book every day and prayed for a certain number of members. What it's saying is this. Don't make it hard on us. And you make it hard on us when you're not in God's Word, when you're not in worship, when you're not at the Lord's table. You know, it's a lot like when the pastor goes to make a home visit on a family that's not been in church, it's a whole lot like the cops are there. Okay. The cops are here. But that's not the way it should be. It is taking, watching over to make sure they don't leave the faith. Don't make it hard on them by separating yourself from the community of believers and from here hearing the word of God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay? They're doing it for your benefit, and it should be a joy for them to do so. Okay? Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He is asking the author, of course, we don't know who that is. The author is asking for their prayers that he might come to them. And we don't know much more about that. Final greetings. No, there's a blessing. We use this benediction from time to time in church. This is not a benediction that's just a hopeful wish. This is a benediction that has power. It is calling on God to work this in the people. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. How did God bring peace to the world? How did God bring peace to each and every one of us? He raised his son from the dead. That gives us peace with God and peace with one another. Okay? The great shepherd of the sheep, 
In the Old Testament, the great shepherd had the connotation of royalty. Royalty. You know, King David was a shepherd of the sheep. And so it is saying, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. How did Jesus Christ become the great shepherd? He shed his blood for you. He shed his blood for you. That's how he became the great shepherd. Now here's the part that he's really praying for them. May this God, may this Lord Jesus Christ equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That you may do his will. That you may live out your life with faith in his Son and showing love to one another and living the will of God. Notice it's, a, a, it's an emphatic, equip you. He's not saying, may he equip you, equip you. He's going to do it. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What is pleasing in his sight? His word, keeping his word, believing in his son. That is what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay? Then, final greetings. I appeal to you, brothers. By using the words brothers, he is saying fellow Christians. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. We talked about when we started the book that this was probably a sermon. Uh, by saying I have written to you briefly may refer to part or all of the letter. Okay. We're not sure. We're not sure. But he considered it a brief, you know, people then didn't have TV. They didn't have streaming. To get a letter that's 13 chapters long was a lot of fun. It was something to do, okay? Something to read. So I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. This is one of those sentences and everybody automatically says, this has got to be the Apostle Paul writing this. But there's just no evidence of that. There's just no evidence of that besides, look at these, look at these wonderful teachers trying to hide. <clears throat> there is no evidence that it's the Apostle Paul. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Notice, those who come from Italy send you greetings. There's a geographical reference. Those who come from Italy 
send you greetings. It is what it is. We, we don't know all about it, but there were some believers from Italy. Grace be with all of you. Okay? So the letter uh, ends with the statement of grace. Yes? Fifteen and sixteen. Did I skip them? Oh yeah. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You confess him in worship. This is worship practice. Okay? Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's what I said at the beginning. This section could be called sacrifices pleasing to God. When you do this list of things, when you work on these list of things, they are pleasing to God. They are what is pleasing. Be it the confession of faith through your lips or your works that are done according to God's will, through faith, okay? Through faith. All right. And after, I'm, I'm getting worried. It's packed out there. Any final questions? Mark, quick. We have no idea. Being what? All right, let me see. It's after, just after verse 25. <laughs> No. Those who are from Italy is what it says. After, after 25, is there anything else? 21? 25. No, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Claudius had kicked the Jews out of Rome at some point, and a lot of them went to Ephesus, I believe. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, so it, you know, it, yeah. it was probably written from somewhere outside of Italy. Uh, yes, uh, Claudius threw out the Jews from Italy because he was sick of them, and some of them went to Corinth and some of them went to Ephesus, including Aquila and Priscilla. And, and uh, but we also know that Paul spent a lot of time in Rome. Quick. I don't know how much time we have, but last, last. None. Well, okay. <laughs> no. Last week we talked, it was a heavy chapter on the comparing Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. And, but also there referenced Abraham with Isaac, which was actually Mount Moriah. Is Mount Moriah now the Mount Zion we talk about where Jerusalem is? Uh, I'd have to look at that. Okay, because I, I thought Dome of the Rock is now sitting on what was Mount Moriah, well, which it, would be in... Mount Moriah is the one where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. 
okay? That's Mount Moriah. All right, gang. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.